Okay. Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on the bottom of page 71. We are heading towards the end. We're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, I think the whole purpose of prayer is as we're getting closer to the end of the tunnel, the light just gets stronger and stronger and stronger because it starts with that very small um, glimmer of Moda'ani where I merely just concede to God. And throughout the process of prayer, we become more aware of our relationship with Hashem, more aware of our relationship with the soul, more aware of who we are and what we're all about. And the light just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And at this point, we are at song of the day. The Shir Shel Yom. Every single day, there is a different chapter of Tehillim that corresponds to that day, that is relevant to that day. We're not going to explore all of them today. We'll probably dive into them over the next couple of weeks. But every what we're going to learn today is... Why we say the Shir Shul Yom, the song of the day, what its source is, and what the message is for us. Because every part of the prayer service is a message. Let's start with the source. Our sages say that um, reciting verses, it's a quite ambiguous statement in the Talmud, but reciting biblical verses, it's always a good thing. It's always a good thing to recite verses of Torah, to recite Psalms, to recite... But the sages say that when you recite a verse that is relevant to the times that we're in, then it actually brings extra blessing. And there's a chapter to him corresponding to each day. By the way, the Talmud, it's not part of our tradition in prayer. Many people do have, um, instead of the song of the day for, let's say today was Wednesday, there's a special one recited just for Hanukkah. That people would recite, replace that and just recite the Hanukkah one. That's a chapter to him that's relevant to Hanukkah. There's one for Rosh Chodesh. There's one for all the holidays. In our tradition, the song of the day is specific to the days of the week, and we kind of don't deviate from that. But in other traditions, throughout other Sidurim, you'll see that the song of the day is um, varies not just from the day of the week, but the time period or holiday that we happen to be experiencing. In the time of the Beit HaMikdash, the Levites used to sing the song of the day. And you actually see that before every single song of the day. It says, today is the first day of the week or whatever day it might be, on which the Levim, the Levites in the Beit HaMikdash used to say, they used to, there used to be a special platform for the Levites where they would all stand there and sing. That was their job. Their job was to sing. The Kohen's job in the Beit HaMikdash was to draw down blessing. That was through the avodah, through the service. What is a kohen? And by the way, Kabbalistically, this is quite consistent. The kohen represents chesed, kindness, giving, bestowing. They would elicit God's desire to bestow. The Levite was the personality of gavura, of discipline, which is not so much about bringing blessing down to earth, but let us be disciplined and focus and connect to God. And that's why their job was to sing, was to sing to God. The Kohen would channel down from God through their service in the Beit Tamikdash. The Levites would elevate to God through singing. 
Look at the head honcho of the Kohanim, the Kohen Gadol, Aaron. The epitome of peace, the epitome of love, the epitome of bringing broken relationships back together. Chesed, kindness. Look at the head honcho of Levites, Moses. Very disciplined person. Very focused person. Focus on connecting to God. And after the performance of the service of the korbanot, the sacrifices, the Levites would sing. And part of their singing was the Shir Shalyom, the specific song of the day. And the Talmud, there's an interesting Talmud tra Talmudic tractate. It's the shortest tractate throughout the entire um, series of Talmud. It's only eight pages long. You could finish a whole tractate if you wanted to in however long it will take you to study those eight pages. It's called Tractate Tamid. And it describes various services that took place in the Beit HaMikdash. It describes the structure of the Beit HaMikdash, which is interesting also. It's an interesting tractate. And at the end of the tractate, it describes which chapters the Levites would actually sing amidst the base, uh, um, while in the Beit HaMikdash. Now, here's an interesting thing, just parenthetically. I think this is important to note. We mentioned this about a year ago, probably more, probably a year and a half, probably two years ago at this point. But I think it's very important. During the, the, the korbanot, the sacrifices, I know I'm deviating here for a second, but I'm going to bring us back. Don't worry, I'm not getting too lost. During the sacrifices, there, there, were, two port, there were two parts. There was the korban, which is often an animal sacrifice, but sometimes uh, um, it could be a wheat sacrifice. or could be various levels. And then there was the libation, the wine libation, the wine pouring, the sacramental wine pouring. And this is very important because what does the word korban really mean? We translate it as sacrifice, but what does it really mean? What does the word korban really mean? Comes from the Hebrew word. Anybody know? Come, what? Did you say offering? Not exactly. It it does refer to offering, but the literal translation comes from the Hebrew word karov, close, to come close to God, to approach God. A korban is a mechanism by which we approach God. These days we have prayer to, to represent sacrifices because we don't have a beit hamikdash anymore. Prayer is the means by which we come close to God. A korban means coming close to God. Now, how an animal brings you close to God? Okay, right? We have to bring our own animal close to God. But the Kohen would represent all the Jewish people with that animal. After coming close to God, you have to actually bring God down to this world. After feeling great about who you are, you have to do something about it. <laughs> Right, we know what happened to Aaron's son when sons, two sons, when they got too ahead of them of their of themselves, they got too holy in the temple. They expired, and it's not the point. Judaism is not about an out-of-body spiritual experience. That's important, but that's a means to an end that's not the end. We have to take that closeness and channel it into our mission, channel it into our purpose. That's the wine libation. After elevating yourself, coming close with the korban, you have to lie a bit. You have to pour. You have to come back down. You've gone up, but you have to come back down. Or in English, you feel passionate about your role as a Jew. Now you got to come back down and do something about it. 
you actually have in this week's Parsha, you know, the, the brothers come to Yosef, as, who's the viceroy of Egypt. They don't realize he's the viceroy of Egypt. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And they want to purchase food. They say, go bring, he says, go back to Egypt, bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. And they're like, our dad's not going to let that. We already lost one kid. And he says, well, you're probably spies then, aren't you? So now they're left with no choice. So he says, now, in order for me to confirm that you're not actually spies and to know that you're actually going to come back and not ditch me, I'm going to hold one of you captive. He holds Shimon as captive. You familiar with this part of the story? He holds Shimon as captive, right? Shimon was the strongest of brothers, as we know what he did to the city of Shechem. The brothers leave. They're on their way to Egypt. They're like, oh, my gosh, what a mess. We lost Yosef. Decades later, now lose Shimon. Now we have to go get Benjamin. All of this to buy food from this evil viceroy they don't realize is actually Joseph. And the brothers are experiencing incredible regret. Why did all this pain is coming upon us because of what we did to Joseph? And you know what Reuben says to them? I told you so. <laughs> Very mature, Reuben. Why would you do that? Why would you say that? I told you so. Come on. It's like they're they're regretting what they've gone through. You're trying to put salt in the wound. There's many beautiful explanations, but one explanation is what he was trying to tell them was not, I told you so. What he was trying to tell them was, you guys feel bad, but that's not the point. You got to do something about it. You got to do something about it. Give me one second. Okay, sorry about that. Kids are, kids will be kids, as they say. Um, <laughs> Reuben was trying to tell the brothers, not I told you so. What he was trying to tell them was, stop just feeling bad and do something about it. When it comes to this desire to come close, that's not good enough. We have to do something about it. The Korban, the desire to come close ain't good enough. There has to be that libation. There has to be that coming back down to earth. This is why the Levites would sing this song, these songs, perhaps while the libations were taking place. Because that's what it represented. It represented having a real impact in this world. Not just a spiritual impact in this world. Now, these days we have no more Beit HaMikdash. We have no more sacrificial services, korbanot, and libations. And consequently, we don't have Levites singing in the temple. Why are we reciting this Shir Shil Yom, the song of the day? Why is it necessary for us to recite this? So on a most basic level, it's to remember the Beit HaMikdash. So much of what we do in Judaism, by the way, is to remember the Beit HaMikdash, because to, to remember the temple, because it really is the center of Judaism. It's the essence of Judaism. A home for God, a home to experience God. The reality of us not having a Beit HaMikdash, and as a result of that, having organized religion in the structure of prayer, it is not the way it's supposed to be. 
us living our own normal lives here in California or wherever we may live and wherever you live, if you're listening to this on the recording, that's not normal life. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be in Israel. We're supposed to be having a temple. Our life is supposed to center around this temple, around God. Okay, maybe we need to live in this in this location, but at some point there'll, there'll be pilgrimage. We'll come back three times a year. That's what our life is supposed to center around, and that had been taken from us. And we're waiting for the day that it's going to be rebuilt, and we cannot forget that. We cannot forget that. We recite the singing that the Levites would sing after the service to remind us of that. So much of what we do in Judaism, by the way, centers around that. Can you think of another example? Can you think of something we do, a Jewish tradition that we do, to remind us of the Beit HaMikdash, to remind us of the temple? To remind us that our current reality is not normal. It is not something we're supposed so, to be super comfortable with. What? In, in Shakras, before the first Kaddish, we say, we, we, we sing, um, uh, I can't say it from memory right now, but the, the, okay, good, good, good. We, we ask God, right? We sing that song asking God to build us the base and make this. Okay, good. Okay, good. Any other examples in Judaism? I'll give you another example. Well, for there's a breaking glass by the wedding, right? That, that's a famous example. But I'll give you another example, something that you do often. Oh, Hanukkah. Okay, good, good. And, and that's in a more positive light, right? Because it's remembering the miracle. There's certain things we do to help us remember that, that are, you know, over here, it's more of a negative context. Like we don't have this anymore. You know, it's not celebrating any particular miracle or anything out of the ordinary. Right. Another example of this is washing before bread. Why do you need to wash before bread? Why do you need to be have pure hands before washing for bread? So the Kohen in the days of the Beit HaMikdash would have to have pure hands when eating um, certain foods that required purity, right? Truma, the tithings, the gifts of the Kohen had to be pure. So they would have to wash their hands before eating. Um, these days, most of us are not a Kohen. And even if you are, you're not eating those foods. But we continue, we, all of us continue, that traditional washing just to remember that this stuff exists. <laughs> And that it's important and that it's sacred. So there's things we do throughout Judaism to remember that our current reality is not supposed to be normal. Is the dipping the bread in salt also part of that? D dipping the bread in salt, having salt at the table, right? That's part of that as well, because there's always salt on the on the altar. Every korban, every sacrifice needed salt. So that is part of that as well. Exactly. Now, before each day. We recite a similar line, just a different day, right? We say, Hayom Yom, today is whatever day it is. The first day of the week, the second day of the week, third day, and so on. On which the Levim, the Beit HaMikdash used to say, and then we follow with that chapter of Tehillim. And I'd like to share with you several reasons why we recite that. Um, take a look, by the way, translations are dangerous, and you know this. So take a look in the English, and then I'm going to reference the Hebrew. Bottom of page 71, where it says today is the first day of the week. Do you see it? Okay. 
And on the second next page, it would say today is the second day of the week. Today is the third day of the week, etc. What does it say in the Hebrew? If you have your sitter, John, I don't know if you have your sitter with you. You're traveling, but if you do, if you have your sitter with you, what does it say in the Hebrew? I, I, I have the online sitter. I just don't have it open. Oh, okay, it's all good. It's all good. I'm trying to remember from memory. Hayom yom. Good, good. Hayom yom. Shell. Is it? I want to say shell something. Hayom yom rishon. Shabbat. You see it there. Hayom yom. Today is rishon, the first day, but Shabbat of. Today is the first day of Shabbat. In the English, it says today is the first day of the week. In the Hebrew, it says today is the first day of Shabbos. What does that mean? Well, there's a few meanings here. Number one, Shabbos means a week. In in many contexts, Shabbos is a unit of seven days. So a week is often referred to as a Shabbos. Sometimes in certain halachic texts, in Talmudic texts, a cycle of seven years, where then there's a Shemitah cycle, right? Where the land rests. That seven-year cycle is called a Shabbos. So things that run in cycles of seven are often referred to as a Shabbos. And that's actually what it means here. That's why they translate it as week. Today's the first day of the week. Today is the first day of the Shabbos. The Ramban Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, Nachmanides, points out something interesting. He says, well, there's actually a hidden meaning here. There's actually a reference to Shabbos. Every single day that goes by, we're counting towards Shabbos. We're anticipating Shabbos. In other words, in Judaism, There's there's a means to an end, and then there's the end. And we we often this is an incredible shift in how we view Shabbos. By the way, the way we often view Shabbos is hustle, 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 work, work, work for six days, and finally uh, let's rest, let's break away from the world, and let me have this moment in time where I can enjoy my life and and rest and it's it it's beautiful and by the way this is true I, I know I'm sounding a little bit cynical here but this is true but that's not what Shabbos it Shabbos is much deeper than that it, it it's not fair to say that Shabbos and weekdays are totally separate days the weekdays actually leading towards Shabbos every single day we're counting towards Shabbos because the reason why you have a Sunday a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, is so that you can have a meaningful Shabbos. It's not just a break from the week. It's what your week was preparing for. You see in the story of creation, the world was incomplete until Shabbos came. Every single day is leading and getting us closer to Shabbos. In fact... I'm going to have us flip ahead for a second to the evening service of Shabbos, which is on page 168. It's the top of the page. This is from the Amida of Shabbos, Friday night. Do you see it where it says, Atta, you have consecrated? 
You have consecrated to your name the seventh day, the purpose of the creation of heaven and earth. You have made Shabbos holy, and Shabbos is the purpose of creation. It's not just a break from creation. It's the purpose of creation. The, the way Hasidic teaching explains what Shabbos is, and once we, after this, I think everything I'm saying will, will kind of click, make a little bit more sense. Let, let me ask you a question. Let me take a step back for a second. God rested on the seventh day, right? That seems seems a little dangerous. <laughs> because the Midrash tells us that creation is dependent on the creator. But God is constantly creating. Creation was not a one-time thing. It's a continuous thing. Like, like a projection, like, like a projector. You go to the movie theater and you see a projector on the screen. That projection is dependent on the projector. Right? You pull the plug on the projector. It's not like whatever was on the screen last will just stay up there. It doesn't work that way. Right? It's constant. Creation is constant. Creation requires God's constant investment and involvement. So how could God rest? So this is an interesting discussion, right? Because this kind of makes me think about the discussion we had. Well, is God limitless or limited? Right, right. Right? Because suddenly you're ascribing a characteristic like God can't do both. He can't rest and he can't create at the same time. Well, I, I would say, I wouldn't say can't. I would say this is how this is how he theoretically he could have created and walked away, but 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 Judaism strongly asserts that that God's involvement, God is intimately involved in creation, right? Which means creation, and and to the extent that creation existence is dependent on the Creator, yeah. And, and w which means that in human life we don't actually have creation; we just have formation. You take existent matter and you shape it into whatever you want it to be, and we call that creation, but that's really formation. Creation means you take non-existent matter and you bring life, and that's constant. Now on Shabbos, he rests. Well, where's the world going to go if he rests? How does that work? What are the mechanics of that? So I'll tell you something fascinating. How did God create? This is what the Kabbalists explain. You're going to love this. How did God create during the six days of the week? Speech. God said, let there be light. God said, let there, right, is through speech. Speech is external. We know this from our recent class, right? Speech is a means for communicating outside of yourself. On Shabbos, God continues to create, but he rests from speech. He creates with thought. What is the relationship with you and your thoughts versus you and your speech? You and your speech may seem like two separate things. Like who said that, right? As if they're two separate things. You and your thoughts are one. And the Kabbalists explain this is a euphemism or an example to, to really understand 
the relationship of the world and God during the week, it seems quite external. It seems as if it's two separate things. Whereas on Shabbos, it's on the level of thought. It's elevated. This is what the Kabbalists call the elevation of worlds on Shabbos. The world is elevated to the status of thought. We're inside of God rather than speech as if we're external from God. Which is why Shabbos is a holy day. It's not just an arbitrary, okay, let's. I'm picking the last day of the week to be different. There's a reason why it's holy. There's a reason why it's different. There's a reason why it's separate. There's a reason why we refrain from so many activities. We're on a higher plane. Now, we won't, because we're not just souls, we're, we're bodies too, we won't recognize it or appreciate that unless we physically refrain from certain activities. So we can actually appreciate this on our human consciousness. Some people can actually appreciate this. Um, you know, just some people see it. Some people, you know, wow, feel the Shabbos. There's a story with Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin. Rabbi Yisrael Friedman of Ruzhin. He was the, the Rebbe of Ruzhin. The Ruzhin Rebbe. This is going back to the early 1800s. He was a real tzaddik, a real righteous person, a real soul-sensitive person. And again, a soul-sensitive person is going to see Shabbos differently than, than we do. It's not just another day that's arbitrarily, let's rest. He gets it. He was learning as a child in Talmud, the famous case of you're stuck in a desert and you don't know what day is it, what day it is, how do you celebrate Shabbos, right? There's a whole question in halacha, what are you supposed to do? Do you pick a random day and count to seven, you know, seven days from there? What do you do? You're stuck in the desert, you don't know what day it is. So this is what they're teaching him in Talmud class. And he says, as a kid, I don't really get the question. The world looks different on Shabbos. It's like a different color. The sky is a different color on Shabbos. To him, the world literally looked different on Shabbos. To us regular folk, we don't realize that Shabbos is a level of God's thought. We have that level, higher level of connection. So we need to actually refrain from activity. On Shabbos, by the way, What's another euphemism we use for Shabbos? Marriage, intimacy. Because it's that oneness, it's that closeness. That's the lechadodi. God is the bro- Sh- like God, Shabbos is Shabbos like the bride, queen. the Shabbos queen. It's that joy, it's that love, it's that intimacy, it's that connection because it's on the level of thought, which is oneness rather than speech, separateness. Every single day, we're counting towards Shabbos. Every single day, our regular Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Hayom Yom, today is whatever, Shabbos. Today is leading towards Shabbos. Yes, it's a regular weekday. It's getting us closer to Shabbos. Because the world seems separate from God during the week, we have an opportunity to, or a responsibility, to bring clarity to the world, to refine the world, to elevate the world, to get it ready for Shabbos. And by the way, on Shabbos, you don't have to elevate the world. You just enjoy it. Think about it this way. During the week, we know this from Tanya, from chapter 7 of Tanya. During the week, a regular weekday, you partake in this bottle of Diet Coke because it's enjoyable. And it's, you know, out of indulgence, we've trapped this Coke into Klepa. We've covered it. We've hid it from God. Yet, if I intentionally drink this Diet Coke to give me the energy to partake in a Tanya, a, a sitter class, 
I've elevated this Coke and realized how it's really part of God. Right? So I need to have a special intention to actually refine it during the week. On Shabbos, enjoying the Coke itself becomes a mitzvah. Oneg Shabbat, enjoying Shabbos. I don't have to have any specific intention. My job is not to elevate. Everything is going to be elevated automatically because the whole world is elevated to the level of divine thought rather than speech, divine closeness rather than divine, than, uh, you know, as if two separate separate things. And we, we, and we reference Shabbos every single day because every single day we're getting closer to this. By the way, on a that that's on a microcosmic weekly level, on a macro level, the messianic era is referred to as Yom Shikolo Shabbat, a day that is one large Shabbos. Because when Mashiach comes, God is going to be revealed in this world, like Isaiah says in his prophecies, the whole world will be full of the knowledge of God. The world will be elevated to the thought of God, like God's thoughts rather than speech. We're going to feel that similar connection to Shabbos. Right now we're like in the weekday during exile. And our job is to usher in Shabbos. Our job is to get closer to the Messianic era. And every single day, even if it's a regular Sunday, even if we seem like we're deep into exile, we know Shabbos is coming. We're looking forward to Shabbos. We're not just looking for a break from what we're doing now, or that too, but we're looking to get closer to what the ultimate purpose of creation actually is. You know, going back to, so, two years ago, I get a WhatsApp message from a young girl who had a question. Um, She doesn't know me, and that's why she was asking me. Just to give you some background here, this is a, a young girl who is, apparently grew up in a very, quote-unquote, orthodox, traditional Jewish home. And she was in Florida for the weekend, sick with COVID, quarantining, isolated by herself. And she's going to be by herself for an entire Shabbos. And she's nervous that she's going to be bored out of her mind. And she was very tempted to turn on the TV and just watch TV on Shabbos. Because she's bored and, and, and just... And again, the background she came from obviously would not support that. She was at a place in her life where she's, I guess, figuring out her identity, you know, as a as an older adolescent, trying to figure out who she really wants to be and who she really is, and was struggling with this. And she was not in a position where she felt like she could ask her rabbis, I guess, or or family, you know, she I guess she felt like she would have been judged. Somehow she got my number and she reached out to me. She said, this is the situation. I'm stuck with COVID in a hotel room. I'm by myself for Shabbos. Is there any room in Halacha in Jewish law for me to leave the TV on before Shabbos and we watch TV on Shabbos so I don't go out of my mind and I don't go crazy? This is what she asks me. I, 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 I don't know her. And I don't know the repercussions. I mean, just to give you the sense of responsibility of such a question. I'm not here to derail Judaism for the rest of her life. <laughs> because once something becomes okay, it becomes okay in your head. 
not here to destroy somebody's life. I don't know how serious. I don't know. Does she have depression? Should they be? I, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know her. I don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? There's a lot of factors in that, that in a question. But here's what I told her. I sent her like a two or three minute voice note. And I said, I, I had a suspicion, and apparently I was right, that her understanding of Shabbos was quite elementary, despite growing up in a very traditional community. Shabbos was very much about, let's just separate from the world. But why am I separating from the world? What am I connecting to? That part was totally absent. I said, I'd love for you tonight to open up a sitter and to read in English, in a language that you understand, read the Lechadodi. Read the romance that we have with Shabbos. The love relationship we have with God. She's a, She was single at the time. Maybe she's still single. One day you're going to go down the chuppah. You're going to be under the wedding canopy. Please don't be tempted to be bored and pull out your phone under the chuppah. <laughs> you're not going to do that. Otherwise, you're going to end it before it starts. <laughs> God forbid. You're under the chuppah of God. You have a relationship with God. This a, a deep, meaningful relationship with God. God's thought rather than speech. One with him, in unity with him. And he's giving you a chance to finally, after many, many years of growing up with Shabbos, to prove to yourself that you really know what Shabbos is and that you could experience Shabbos to the fullest. This is a chance to prove to yourself, not just that I can do it, but I could experience what it really is. A deep, meaningful, intimate relationship for 25 hours. I said, get yourself a good book. Get some inspiring reading material. Get a sitter. And make this Shabbos count. Prove it to yourself. Show yourself this is what it is. Because that's what Shabbos really is, that intimacy with God. And that's what our weekday is, getting ready for that. Getting ready. That's what exile is, getting ready for Mashiach. Again, for, uh, it, it's it's hard to see this on a very natural, normal level without studying it. Because that's just the product of exile. It's the product of our soul being so hidden. There was, there was once a fellow going back several hundred years ago who was going through a very difficult time financially. His business was not taking off. And he suggested to his Rebbe, you know, I, I need some sort of blessing. The Rebbe understood from the way he worded the question that the business was running on Shabbos, that the guy was feeling desperation. The Rebbe tells him, I'd like to make with you a partnership. I'd like to buy 15% of your business. I think I'm getting the numbers right here. He says, and, and then trust me, you'll do well. Okay. He sells 15% of the business. They meet and the Rebbe says, okay, first order of business is we're closing on Shabbos. What? <laughs> he says, well, I own a seventh of your business. So you keep all the six days. And I'll, I'll deal with everything on Shabbos. Any profits that come in on Shabbos, I'll deal with and we're closing that day. 
<laughs> they ended up closing on Shabbos and the guy's business succeeded. Because the Rebbe had the ability to see what Shabbos really is. That Shabbos is a deep, intimate, close relationship with Hashem. And that's reflecting what the Messianic era is going to be like. And there's no way that observing that can cause one to fail. This guy couldn't see it. And wasn't at a place where he was ready to believe it. So the Rebbe had to show him. Every single day, we remind ourselves, we're getting closer to Shabbos. We're getting closer to Mashiach. We're getting closer to this intimacy and unity with God. We're getting closer to the ultimate purpose of creation. That's what davening is supposed to give us the sensitivity to appreciate. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>